Well, hello, Slingers. Welcome back to another week of the Word Slinger Podcast. This is going to be a very special episode, and I'll tell you why right after this. Hey, sometimes it's hard to know where to start when you're building and growing your indie author career, and that's why I have put together something just for you. Me and my partner, Roland Denzel, have created Indie Author Blueprint. So hop over to IndieAuthorBlueprint.com, start learning about all the ways you can build and grow your own indie author career, and we'll be right there with you all the way. See you there, IndieAuthorBlueprint.com. It's the Word Slinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand, write your book, redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours? Now, here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Word Slinger. Well, I am Kevin Thompson, the Word Slinger, and uh, this, like I said, this is a special episode, a very special Word Slinger podcast. Because <laughs> uh, uh, right now, I am actually sitting right out in front of my uh, little travel trailer, uh, the one that Kara and I are actually living in full time now, uh, as of, uh, well, it's been about three weeks, actually. Uh, I'm here in Kerrville, Texas. Uh, in a beautiful RV resort, just an amazing resort. You can probably hear the sounds of the uh, the, the the resort all around me. Actually, you're gonna hear some birds, some kids, some uh, stuff. I could have done this in the uh, the truck the way I've done a couple of things already, uh, which actually makes for a perfect little uh, studio. I mean, it's pretty soundproof, uh, pretty comfortable. I've actually done quite a few things in there, but. You know, the weather right now is perfect here in Kerrville. Um, it's it's sunny. Uh, it gets up into like the 90s during the day, but uh, it was down to like 54 this morning when I got up and started doing my writing. So I'm actually wearing a hoodie in the middle of June in uh, the middle of Texas. Almost square in the middle of Texas, by the way. <laughs> so but anyway, um, so... Uh, that's why this is a special episode. I mean, it's also a special episode because of our guest. I'm talking with Peter Johnston. Uh, he is uh, he's a practiced and renowned negotiation expert. Uh, so he, I think you're going to enjoy uh, this interview. But I wanted to kind of fill you in on what was going on with the hashtag Camper Life uh, right now. Kara and I are, uh, you know, we're really kind of getting into it. It's been nice. Uh, it's been a, a way to sort of slow down and reassess. I've been calling this my uh, journey of healing and that's exactly what it's been uh it's been a chance for me to dial back uh feel a little less stressed about things uh kind of explore life from a different angle uh it's been kind of stressful the past several months of course not just uh not just because of you know things like the pandemic and uh you know the riots and things like that but also uh you know Kara and I had spent several months kind of leading up to this journey and there was a lot of work involved uh, a lot of you know having to figure out what we're going to do with our stuff uh, which we're actually going to be journeying back to our hometown area uh, here in the next in July after July 11th actually uh, we're going to be going back down there we've got a spot on a lake nearby uh, where we used to live uh, an hour or so out um, 
and uh, I'm going to basically reorganize our, our storage. Um, it's been a week just going through storage and building shelves and getting things uh, a little better organized because we really just had, because of getting sick and because of conferences and the rush to move, uh, things didn't go to as planned and we just sort of crammed everything in there. So that's been interesting. Uh, <laughs> Figuring out things like uh, how we're handling Wi-Fi uh, has been a challenge. This particular camp has, um, you can rent DSL modems, which I think is interesting uh, to be able to rent a DSL modem. But you can set that up. But I chose not to do that because what I'm trying to do is figure out how we're going to have internet uh, when that sort of option is not available to us. And though this place has free Wi-Fi, it's not enough to do a lot of what I need to do, like streaming you know, live streams, streaming content uh, that we consume, uh, the stuff that we watch, you know, Netflix and things like that, it's it's not good for that uh, because so many people use it, it gets bogged down. And if you're if, if everyone's streaming, they say. Um, I don't know why in this day and age that's a problem, but it is, and uh, it's something i got to deal with. So, so there's been some little challenges to this as we've gone along. Um, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really getting something... Um, that I hoped I would get out of it, which is a, a sense of, you know, growth, peace. Um, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing new things. Uh, the writing is going well. You know, I'm putting usually around four to 5,000 words a day down. Uh, and that's just with a couple of hours of writing each day. It's not even, you know, intensive writing. I'm still doing all the work for draft to digital uh, still doing work for author email, for indie author blueprint, for all the things I'm involved in. I'm still doing all that stuff, but uh, somehow, maybe it's because of those birds. But it just feels lighter. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep exploring that. Anyway, I don't want to keep you from the interview too long. I did want to just kind of fill you in on what was going on in my life. Um, Lots of uh, interesting things happening. Got some uh, big announcement coming soon-ish. Um, we'll see. We'll see what the timeline ends up being on that. Uh, from the draft to digital perspective, a lot of things going on with draft to digital. If you have not been checking out our D2D spotlights, uh, you're gonna want to check those out. Those are live events. We interview a. Uh, a different influencer and uh, we've been doing several a week and we're gonna start cutting them back to two and then maybe one a week live uh, but those are getting translated into a new podcast which we are launching it has officially launched we're doing a soft launch of it uh, but you can find that if you go to, uh, searching for on wherever you listen to podcasts if you go search for self-publishing influencers self-publishing influencers that that will uh that will give you uh, the draft to digital official draft to digital podcast. Uh, it's not just me, uh, though. You will hear my voice in every episode because I do the uh, the open and the close stuff. Uh, but you can uh, hear from Dan Wood, who is our VP of Author Relations, and our uh, and uh, our good friend and uh, coworker Mark Leslie Lefave, who is our director of business development at Draft to Digital. And the three of us have been tag teaming and interviewing. Um, a variety of industry influencers, uh, authors, service providers, you know, anyone we can find who uh, has a perspective we think would be helpful to authors. There's been a lot of great material for the, for the author community in that. What, no matter what your level is, uh, that, that's been a very good... It's, it's not 
entirely dissimilar from the format of this show, which which is, tends to be uh, interview format, but uh, it's a different variety of folks. So uh, tune into that and uh, get something you know, get something really useful out of that. So we're soft launching that, and uh, we should be able to do. Uh, we've got a couple episodes up, and we're going to be doing an episode a week uh, going forward. Uh, with we've got you know 20 plus episodes already uh, scheduled and lined up so should be fun <laughs> check that out you can find that uh there should be a link i'm not sure if it's uh up there yet or not but if you go to d2dlive.com that is where we'll be um linking out to all things that we're doing live uh, including that podcast so go and check that out and for now i'm going to jump into this interview with peter johnston you listen in get some the, get some insight this is all about negotiation, and uh, I think this is going to be a good one for authors. So check it out, and then come around on the other side, and I'll wrap us up. I'll see you there. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another Word Slinger interview. Uh, these are the, the interview episodes are kind of my favorites because I get to talk to, uh, to people and learn more about how they're doing what they're doing, uh, how they're Know, how the work's going, how they're promoting. Uh, so these can be real fun. And today I'm talking to Peter Johnston. Now he uh, he's he's written some nonfiction stuff. He wrote Negotiating with Giants, a book I have heard of, uh, Peter, and I don't know that I've read, but I will check my library later. But first, let me welcome you to the show. Welcome on. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be talking to you. Well, uh, I, I'm looking forward to this because, you know, I talk to now, thanks to uh, Meryl Moss, I, I end up talking to a lot of thriller authors, which I am very fond of because I happen to be one. Uh, but it's also nice to just talk to people who, you know, you, you're going to understand like the challenges of this, <laughs> the things that I, the things, that, the challenges I face in this. So it's good to have a sympathetic ear. But uh, so you, uh, you've got kind of an eclectic background. Like you're not just, I mean, you've been at this game for a little while, just not in the fiction realm, right? That's right. Yeah. Negotiating with Giants came out uh, about 10 years ago, Kevin, mm. and uh, uh, was well received. And I do, consulting work around the world with companies and governments and high net worth individuals uh, dealing with everything from M&A to uh, civil wars in Africa to right. art heists. And uh, so I don't have that much time to write. So I write late at night. And yeah. after I'd written Negotiating with Giants, I was approached to write further nonfiction. And I just decided with a young family, I had to be passionate about writing. And if I was going to do something this time, I wanted it to keep me up at night and get me excited. And that's why I chose fiction. Yeah. It's a leap. Uh, I know from having, I've written nonfiction as well. So nothing as potent as negotiating with giants, but uh, it is a leap. Did you find the experience to be uh, dramatically different or was there some crossover that, that came in handy? There was crossover for me because negotiating with giants was basically uh, 150 stories from across history dating back to Magna Carta yeah. uh, and the king negotiating with the barons all the way through Mandela, Ben Franklin, right up to present day. So the format, and I think why negotiating with giants has been successful is the format is storytelling. And yeah. all I was doing was telling a different story and a longer one in a fiction format, but inspired by two true stories from the second world war i was going to ask because um i mean i've heard little hints of things about hitler's atom bomb which is one of the topics of 
of this book. I was going to ask how much of this was historic research and how much of it was fancy. The two core true stories, I, I would say it's, I, I won't put percentages on it, but inspired by two true stories. One, the story of the Nazis' pursuit of an atomic weapon in the final months of World War II, which obviously would have had a significant outcome, right. uh, different impact on the outcome of the war. Uh, and then secondly, this, the story of Leeds Castle, uh, which is a gorgeous castle in southeastern England uh, that is open to visitors, has never been front and center in a work of fiction like this. And uh, it played two significant roles in World War II. One at, I can talk about as a hidden away hospital, but the second, a pivotal uh, role that helped determine the outcome of the war. And so taking those true stories and telling a story uh, that encompasses both is what I did with Weapons of Peace. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. So, I mean, I, I have a passion for taking little tidbits of history and and spinning a, a, a more modern um, thriller tale around them. Is this set in, is this a period uh, story or is this? Uh, yeah, it's a period set history? in the 19, starts in 1944. Uh, and very basic premises, world's greatest negotiator is yeah. found shot up on a beach in Southeast England. And he's taken to this hidden hospital in Leeds Castle, as it turns out. And the only person he can reach out to with the secrets of his mission and his craft is a young British nurse who has a troubled past. Okay. Now you worked in negotiator in there and that's your, that's your bailiwick. So are you drawing inspiration uh, for that character? Is inspiration coming from your work and life? Oh, you bet. And <laughs> you know, uh, just as Grisham uses the law and right. his experience as a lawyer and training to frame his stories uh, and twists and turns, I do the same thing with negotiation in Weapons of Peace. And as this ailing negotiator uh, passes along the secrets of his craft to this young nurse, uh, as readers, you're exposed to the rarefied air, as I call it, of international deal making and how it actually works versus what you read about the papers. See, that's interesting because that's a hook that you you just you don't see any in any other story really. So that that's something that's a breath of fresh air. <laughs> well, th I hope so. And it's uh, to the best of my knowledge, it's the first full-length novel that has dealt into the art and science of influence and negotiation That's interesting. Uh, as, as it is. And so you're ex you get this unique opportunity, which was the challenge for me as a writer, to show somebody who self-proclaimed uh, uh, this British nurse knows nothing about negotiation, right. doesn't understand it at all. She doesn't do that. She's a nurse. And yet, uh, through simple stories from this negotiator, she learns that A, she negotiates all the time, even though it's not, you know, firm contracts that are written up by lawyers, right. and B, uh, that you're not born a great negotiator, you become a great negotiator when you truly understand the art and science of negotiation. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fascinating. I mean, it, in a lot of ways, what, you're, what you do and what, the, what this character does it's a lot like, um, what would you call it? Kind of like spycraft in, in its way, 
So just all performed out in the open. <laughs> it is. It's spycraft. You asked about, you know, what I do versus what uh, Nash does, Everett Nash, my, the negotiator in this story. Yeah. I do a lot of the same things Nash does uh, in terms of dealing with the toughest negotiation challenges uh, governments and companies face. Mm-hmm. And that's my niche with coming out of my work on negotiating with giants. But uh, I don't carry a gun. But at times, I'm certainly exposed to dangers, just like Nash is. Right. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really spycraft. But with the uh, one big difference is his expertise is influence. And right. he knows the science of influence in a way that uh, most spies would not know. Man, I love it. I love it. Because that's, that's, that's the kind of hook I'm always looking for, especially in thrillers. Like something I haven't seen done to death, you know, every, every hero and every thriller has like an eidetic memory or, you know, <laughs> they have all these like comeback skills that you see uh, everywhere. So that's, that's really impressive and intriguing. So. It, well, thank you. And it's not, uh, it's all based on reality, obviously. So all the yeah. skills that he, you're seeing him apply are things that readers can as much as they care to absorb and apply themselves. But by no means is this a negotiation textbook. That wasn't what I wanted to write. This was just a, uh, a thriller, historical thriller, uh, negotiation thriller, that you just happen to have the premise being based around the world's greatest negotiator and stopping the Nazis from launching their atomic weapon again inspired by information we've learned over the last couple of decades we didn't know uh post-war yeah so let's talk about um like the research that went into this how did how did you conduct and handle the research well there were a couple of layers to that one was just starting out uh from my office and what i could research from here as you know uh uh, which is incredible versus even when I wrote Negotiating with Giants, uh, what is available at our fingertips through yeah. the internet uh, today. I mean, Wikipedia, for example, really was just in its infancy when I was researching Negotiating with Giants 15 years ago. Right. Um, so that's, you know, from the office. I first reached out to a group of nurses that I was able to find of 90 plus year old nurses who had actually been on the front lines of the second world war uh, and got them together because I had to uh, make sure since the first part of the book is set in a hospital and looking after a dying patient had to know uh, what they had available to them realistically during the war. Penicillin had just, as you may know, uh, was just being used for the first time. And they would apply penicillin every three hours because that's what their conservative guesstimate was that they needed to keep people (laughs) infection free. And I talked to these nurses, these 90 year olds, and I said, so, you know, what, what are some reasonable injuries that, you know, this guy could be on his deathbed, that, but then make a, a, a recovery within a very tight time frame because he's got to get over to Germany with this nurse. And uh, they said, uh, okay, so, uh, all right, one, reach, one, one of the nurses says, okay, you've got to take out a kidney. Yeah, use a kidney, take a kidney out, that'll slow him down, but he's not dead by no means. <laughs> So this is talking for the voice of experience of Soto's on the front lines of World War II. 
And that's where the genesis of the story and being set in the castle came from. And then subsequently, uh, probably after I drafted the first part of the book, I now wanted to see Leeds Castle in person. So right. went, o- went over with the family. They hosted us, showed us all the secret passages. This is an 800-year-old castle uh, that is surrounded by a moat. So that wasn't a painful part of the research, uh, Kevin. Uh, and then went on to Berlin. And the second part of the book happens in Berlin and under the streets of Berlin and uh, did a lot of research in Berlin at that point. That's the fun part about this stuff is uh, getting out in the world and following the trail that your protagonist is going to follow. Uh, what sort of what sort of elements did you discover while you were out doing that and bring, bringing it back to the book? That's a beautiful question because, as you know, you have your best plans laid and then you're right. surprised. And right. uh, my muse on this story was my son, who by the age of uh, 13 had read more than I'll ever read in my life, adult <laughs> fiction as well. Right. And uh, Jasper's uh, now studying at Harvard University and studying negotiation, just coincidentally. Hmm. Uh, but throughout this process, he was my muse and I had him leading the research effort. So he told me where we had to go and when. But we were on the plane back from Berlin, and uh, he said to me, you know, Dad, where we had in mind the cafe for having the main meetings between the mole from the Nazi side and uh, the British nurse and Nash, uh, we had envisioned it being at a cafe, and he said, you know, I think there's a much better place, and it's got to be the Tiergarten uh, and the specific statue that we were standing at and having coffee at that's got to be where the nucleus of this happens because it's just such a fascinating area. And the Tear Garden, Kevin, is like Central Park. It's 600 some acres in the middle of Berlin and gorgeous and the perfect setting for what happens and unfolds in the book. So that was a surprise. That sounds like the kind of place where a couple of spies would, or, you know, somebody, you know, people doing something clandestine like that. And they did all the time. And all the en- yeah. embassies are ringing around uh, the Tiergarten, this gorgeous park of, uh, full of rivers and, and forested areas and statues, tributes to famous Germans from across time. That's and so that just, but it, it's an example to your question as to you go out and you think you have the answer. You're just looking for the right cafe. And then you realize, no. It's, it's actually got to be outside and it's got to be a park. And I think that lends to the plot as it unfolds. Yeah. I've actually had to go back and rewrite almost entire chapters because, you know, I took a little trip and discovered, you know, this would work much better than what, <laughs> than what I had in mind. Curse you, travel. Uh, <laughs> so inspirational. Curse you, reality. <laughs> that said, that said, you know, at the castle, um, you know, I did, I did, I've been in touch with the castle extensively and uh, their CEO, who is Sir uh, David Steele, and uh, they run the castle now and it's open to visitors. But um, there are, part of my discussions with Sir Steele were around the fact that uh, I was changing some aspects of the castle to meet the, the needs of readers in terms of how the story unfolds. But 95% of what is in this book about the castle is true to what it actually was and is today. Now, was he, um, 
did he did he appreciate the idea of you writing a book based you know in that setting they were i think uh thrilled on the one hand because it's never been you've seen it in movies because they use it all the time as a generic castle yeah but uh i it has never been front and center as the core part of the story right. uh and so I think they were thrilled about that. And already I can see from reviews online that people are saying, oh my God, I can't wait to visit the castle. Americans yeah. saying this. Um, on the other hand, some trepidation because Lady Bailey, who is uh, a central figure in my story, Weapons of Peace, uh, is the woman who created the trust that he now oversees. She's long since passed away. Uh, but nervous because her grandchildren are trustees mm -hmm. and how is grandma being portrayed. And so until they read the final text, I think they couldn't have known uh, how she would come across. But yeah. all feedback to date uh, from British friends included is they'd love to have cocktails with Lady Bailey. <laughs> Which is well, the ultimate good. test, isn't it, of a character? Yeah. yeah, if you yeah, yeah. Any character that you decide I would I would hang out with this person in real life. That's a yeah. good You've done your work well. <laughs> it's also a good test, by the way, of presidents, I think, of countries. <laughs> That's probably, maybe we should probably, maybe we should write an amendment uh, and get that in. Uh, <laughs> you're a negotiator. Let's get this done. Sure. Let's get this working. Um, that's been fantastic, man. I, I, I love stories like this. This is the kind of book that I really get into. Like, uh, and, and so I, I, it's, I lament that I haven't had the opportunity yet because I only got the book like, two, three days ago. Um, and I apologize for the long guys who just decided to show up outside my window, if you're hearing that. Uh, that threw my entire train of thought off. But we're going to get back on. So you've got, uh, I, I'm real curious to know uh, which you found more challenging. Did you find it more challenging to, to write the nonfiction, Negotiating with Giants, or to write uh, Weapons of Peace? And I'm weapons, gonna of, weapons of weapons of peace for sure was uh, the tougher, tougher haul. And the reason is, is that uh, because I advise governments and companies around the world, uh, this is credibility for me. So, yeah. you know, this is not uh, in terms of the idea of the Nazis having an atomic weapon, for example, I wasn't just going to go out on the extreme and be somebody who was drawing on the most extreme views of Nazis and a, an atomic weapon. I wanted to document everything and made sure that the research was accurate. So I had to, A, deal with everything being inspired by two true stories, the castle included, and knowing I would be held accountable by the castle yeah. and by... Uh, anyone who's interested in world, the Second World War and in atomic weapons, uh, because I advise governments and speak publicly about atomic weapons in North Korea. So all of that had to be on. So I needed, for example, not only nurses and yeah. doctors advising on medical, but I had a nuclear scientist who was advising on what was most likely the weapon that the Nazis could have developed and that they had to in these final months of the war and how could it have been used, uh, also dealing with the castle itself. So that's one challenge is I had to, it was kind of nonfiction in that respect. Right. So I had that element, but at the same time, Kevin, I've got to uh, write believable characters. And as you know, yeah. writing characters, arc of the story, I needed to have the best uh, feedback from editors 
pushing me on making my writing better. And so far, so good. I think uh, from the feedback, people would not know that I'm a first-time novelist. Yeah, yeah. You certainly put some pressure on yourself. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to include these two factual, documented, verifiable stories. uh, I'm going to be held accountable for both. That had to make things a little, a little bit of a sweat. It, it does. And at the end of the book, there's many pages dedicated to uh, saying what is true, what is not, who hmm. these people are, what role they actually played. Many of the characters are actual characters uh, from, you know, people like Hitler himself to Kamler uh, to uh, other Nazi figures to uh, real doctors and Leeds Castle, Lady Bailey. So I, I did have my work cut out for me and it took me uh, two years to write it. Mm-hmm. My son Jasper kept track of all these statistics, two years to write it and then five years to polish, fact check uh, and get it out to read. Man, I, I need a Jasper. Yeah, well, he's I, available. I, he's available <laughs> for a nominal fee. You too can have a Jasper. <laughs> Sounds like he was a big part of this. He, he was uh, because of his unique, uh, he's a unique kid and yeah. you know, he's 21 now. But when I started this, he was 13. He's credited on the title page mm-hmm. as a senior editor and uh, uh, script advisor. Uh, he, story consultant, I think we called him. There you go. Uh, and my daughter, Aisha, who's also at Harvard, was intimately involved in the editing process. So mm-hmm. it was a family affair in that sense. Uh, and not to uh, scare readers away because it's all mature content in the book. But I did have a couple of editors who, uh, certainly when you're talking about sex scenes, for example, uh, I had to tread carefully and I was paired back at times yeah. uh, <laughs> by the forces that be. But still, still adult uh, stuff. And yeah. without uh, Jasper and Asia, it would have been tough to uh, maneuver a very complex world uh, right. and have input on the ins and outs, twists and turns, as you know, as a writer, where it's hard to know at times you're in the dark. And while you believe that you're on the right path, uh, ultimately, you do have to have outsiders understand what you're trying to achieve and that it yeah. all makes sense, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it took you about eight years to, to put this book To this out. point, it's eight years. It was two years yeah. to write and, yeah. and research. And then yeah. the rest was just uh, fine-tuning, uh, editing feedback, and, uh, and making sure all the facts are right. Yeah. Because so remember, that, during the day, <laughs> you're, like Nash, you're out, I, I'm a negotiation advisor. You're the real-world version. Advisor. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, so, okay, then – are you working on another book or are you, is this, is this it? For just, God's sakes. Can I not just enjoy <laughs> this one just for it's you know, a question. month? It's always like, when's the next? I know. I right? know. So yeah, weapons of heat two, electric boogaloo. So there's, if you get to the, uh, <laughs> if you read the book uh, and I hope your readers do read weapons of peace. They will. I command it at the very, thank you. And <laughs> therefore it shall be. Uh, by the end of the book, uh, there's, uh, there's a couple of twists that uh, could very easily lead into uh, a fascinating follow-on uh, uh, sequel. 
but uh, otherwise, if I'm not pressured to do that and inclined, uh, I will revert to nonfiction for a breather. Yeah. And uh, that book would be about uh, anchoring and the psychological phenomena of anchoring, which I do a lot of research on and uh, which is Nash speaks to Emma Doyle, the nurse in uh, Weapons of Peace about this phenomenon and we see it in play, but I think it, it, it's worthy of deeper uh, exploration for readers who are affected by anchoring every day, including what they do for a living, who they married and uh, what they're going to have for breakfast tomorrow and who they choose as president. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say anchoring, what do you, what do you mean by that? So uh, in animals, this is called imprinting and it was proven best by a naturalist named uh, Conrad Lawrence uh, decades ago, but where these goslings hatched out of their eggs and he was there and they had high uncertainty and they saw him first and they latched onto the first answer amid uncertainty thinking he right. was their mother. Their right. mother actually showed up, mother goose, and they ignored her. So it's not just the initial impulse, it's that you are deeply ingrained in your initial assumption and conclusion right. uh, when there's high uncertainty. We have the same phenomenon as human beings and it leads us to the most, uh, to be exposed to in high uncertainty one answer that makes no sense whatsoever, and yet we can live our lives by it. Right. Yeah. That's anchoring. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, and I can see where that would influence your choice of president, or your choice of all, uh, all manner of things. Exactly. Uh, well, that would be an interesting book, too. I'll read so that's that one. The, that's the next one. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. I think, uh, I think you're on the right track here. Uh, hopefully what will happen is uh, this, this book just takes off, uh, gets a like motion picture deal, and you're sure to negotiate one hell of a contract, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. Uh, and that would be sort of sad to find out that you just got completely wrecked over for a contract. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, you always have to be on your guard. You're, it's all about preparation, preparation. That's right. You're the greatest negotiator in the world. And if you haven't prepared in that context, you won't be ready for it. You can right. So, uh, Yes. And, you know, so far, so good. Sales are strong and Hudson airports uh, are, they are always good to me negotiating with giants and weapons of peace are on That's impressive that, to have your book in uh, Hudson. You're the second, uh, you're the second author I've talked to in the past week that, that has pulled that off. Um, I would, I would love to have my books in Hudson. Well, let's talk further. There's nothing like Hudson, uh, yeah. Hudson books for, for making a bestseller out of a book. That's what that's, I think so too, just because of the nature of it being, you know, there people are sort of, there looking for an escape while they're traveling <laughs> and then you don't get a lot of returns cause you know, they buy the book and then they get on an airplane. Exactly. And uh, they're from all over the world, by the way, and which right. helps worldwide with sales because yeah. uh, that, that spreads the seeds. Yeah, yeah, that's a good deal. Uh, so that's impressive all by itself. Um, okay, well, we're kind of we're running up against time. So I want to give you a, a chance to because you've got an event coming up uh, at Brian Park, you said. 
That's right, Brian Park author series, which uh, in New York City is uh, famous, I'm told, uh, by my PR team. That's what I hear. That's what Carol told me. <laughs> uh, right. And uh, so I'll be on a panel, uh, I think it's a thriller panel, uh, talking about weapons of peace uh, on uh, July 10th at 1230 in Bryant Park and doing book signings and uh, some readings with these other panelists who are probably far more accomplished than me. And uh, looking forward to it. And we'd love to have any of your listeners uh, come out to that on July 10th at 1230. Excellent. Uh, if, if I can swing an outcome, who, who knows? Oh, my you, you gosh. You never know where I'm going to be. Oh, well, uh, please come up and say hi if that's will, the case. Uh, you'll be too big for me by then. <laughs> you'll, uh, Kevin who? Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, so tell everybody where they can find you and, and your book online. Well, if you Google my name, Peter D. Johnston, uh, and Weapons of Peace, you'll find the book, uh, weaponsofpeace-book.com. Uh, it's for sale across the internet, Amazon in particular, obviously, you'll find it. And uh, yeah, I'd love people to read it, and I'd love to hear their feedback. I listen to all of it. Okay. Well, I'm going to read it and uh, give you feedback. I'm sure it'll be glowing, positive stuff, too. <laughs> can't wait and i'd love to you. i'd love to have coffee with you one way or the other uh, fantastic man that would be fantastic. just to chat through the craft and learn from you because i'm sure i could oh there's always everybody's always got their piece of this puzzle <laughs> that's why i surround myself with as many thriller authors as i can so that i can uh, sponge off of them learn learn from them <laughs> so we'll be able to uh, swap some stories i'm sure there's plenty i can pick up from you um so okay uh everybody listening if you didn't catch those urls you can find all those in the show notes at wordslingerpodcast.com i don't know what this episode number is going to be yet but uh, i'm sure you'll be able to find it and uh other than that uh peter man i'm i'm really glad that you took the time to chat with us Thank you so much, Kevin. What a blast. Yeah, I always have fun with these. <laughs> so. I, I'm going to write another book quickly just so I can talk to you again. Do it. You know, anytime you have a book at all, doesn't matter. Fiction, nonfiction, you come talk to me. You're Thanks, in. Kevin. Pleasure right, being on your show. You got it. And we'll have you back anytime. Uh, all right, everybody. Right now, you're probably hearing the groovy bridge music. You may dance in place at will. And you can stick around on the other side of this break. I'm sure to have something fascinating to say. So I'll see you on the other side. Well, hey, welcome to the other side. I hope uh, hope you got something useful out of that interview. I, I love talking to thriller authors, but I also... I'm always looking for insights into uh, people's careers, especially if those careers I think could help the author community. Uh, and the whole negotiation thing was something I thought would be interesting and helpful. Um, and I'll, you know, of course, always hearing how people got into what they're doing and uh, how people got into their uh, publishing career—that's always useful. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, man, I'm I'm just sitting here enjoying the uh, weather in this place uh it's been so hot uh down in the houston area when we were there still it, it was starting to kind of warm up and all these cool mornings were going away had gone away and it had gotten very humid and sticky all the time uh here there's like barely any humidity uh it's just uh, man it's so nice <laughs> it's so nice to be surrounded by life actually you know i tended to be buried in my home office and you know, on recording days especially, you know, I'd 
close all the windows and you know <laughs> uh, it always bugged me when the lawn guys came by or whatever but uh, and I'm sorry if the noise from uh, from around me is a little distracting I'll, I but I always kind of found it found it pleasant um, when I'd listen to a podcast and somebody was sitting outside recording you know uh, it was always pleasant to me so <laughs> may the zen of the moment uh, fall upon you um, so that's uh, that's it for the interview and, I th- and we're gonna wrap up soon uh, I just wanted to add a couple of things just at the end um, just stuff that I'm doing stuff that I'm thinking about uh, I'm working on a new series that is outside of my regular thriller series uh, my Dan Kotler books are out there doing pretty well selling very well um, but I've started a new series I'm on the second book now so I released uh, the newest Dan Kotler book about a month ago now uh, the uh, the God Resurrection and that's doing very well uh, my book uh, Quelo Medallion which is the first in that series uh, had a book bub for that for a free giveaway and uh, that skyrocketed that book just in time for the um, the exclusivity with KU to end on that so I'm pulling that book from KU and putting it wide here in the next uh, couple of days. And uh, that is all part of a, of a larger strategy, which is um, this new series that I'm writing. When, once I have three books, it will start wide. Uh, so I've got my 11-book Kotler series. Uh, there's 11 full, full-length novels in that and a couple of uh, short stories and a novella. Um, I'm going to continue to write in that series, and uh, for for now, the plan is to continue to release books into Kindle Unlimited, KDP Select, um, making them exclusive to Amazon on that series in uh, for at least the 90-day period, uh, keeping that income up while I shift gears and write um, a whole new series. So I'll eventually, um, probably in the next month or so, actually. I'm on track to finish this second book and get it into edits probably within the next couple of weeks. And uh, then I'm immediately going to jump in and write the next Kotler book. And then when that book releases, uh, I'll write the third book in this series and I'll start releasing these guys, putting them on pre-order. I'll put them on pre-order between now and then. I haven't decided on the timeline yet, but I'll have that all ready to go uh, so that all I've got to do is push, push publish when it's ready. And uh, those books will launch wide. I don't have a marketing strategy built around that. So uh, there will be more Kotler books. There are definitely going to be this new series. And I've got more series in mind besides, uh, including maybe going back and doing some more sci-fi. I got a lead on something that I, I'm kind of interested in. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check into it and see how it works out. Now, I... Um, I had a chance to sit down and chat with Michael Bunker live um, <laughs> in person uh, because he, he lives about an hour or two, I think he said two hours, outside of uh, Kerrville. Um, and we met up, actually we met up in Fredericksburg at a, uh, uh, basically a beer garden called uh, Oslander. If you haven't been to Fredrick, Fredericksburg, Texas, I really recommend it. It's a great place. Uh, this whole area is nice. The whole Texas Hill Country. I think Karen and I have somewhat fallen in love with this place. We're a little spoiled on our first foray out, our dry dry run, our uh, shakedown cruise. Uh, we may have found a, a place we really like. It's going to be hard to top, uh, but we're going to give it a good shot. We're going to spend time 
traveling the whole country. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Um, but I had a chance to chat with Michael about his his work and you know what he's up to and all that. Private conversations, not not podcast stuff. We just kind of were having a beer and having some fun. Um, but uh, it's inspired me to, to try a couple of things. So I'm, I'm going to be working some of that into my strategy as well. So keep tuned. I'm going to keep uh, talking about this stuff as we go and how camper life is uh, influencing my writing and my podcasting and all my other work. Um, just a lot of, man, there's so much happening. Uh, and some, a lot of it I'm kind of under like NDAs and things like that. So I can't really discuss what... Uh, what's happening <laughs> yet uh but it's all coming up so stick around uh you'll you'll learn all kinds of things so anyway i hope you enjoyed this uh outdoorsy nature filled episode of the wordslinger podcast and uh, i'm going to go ahead and wrap us up the wind is picking up all of a sudden that's what you're hearing is the rustling of the awning over me and uh maybe the wind on a microphone i'm not sure but uh anyway i'm going to go ahead and wrap us up and uh take care of yourselves out there if you, if you get a chance to kind of get out in the world a little, you should probably do it. Um, I know there's this is a scary time, so be careful. Uh, but don't don't lock yourself in a house and uh, stay that way. Get get out, see some people, listen to some things, listen to some nature, walk, get some sunshine. Uh, it's a good it's a it's a good life. So let's not let it pass us by unnoticed. Get out there and enjoy it. Uh, So God bless you, stay in good health, and uh, I will see you all next time.